This morning we come to the end of our 10-week series on 200 Proof, looking at cultural issues, looking at issues that we face in our culture with uh, biblical solutions and biblical answers, trying to find some uh, biblical proofs that we can build our convictions on. And this morning I want to talk about something that seems to rise up every time uh, Christmas rolls around, and it always rises up in the Christian community, and it seems to consume us, and that is the idea of this war on Christmas, uh, the war on Christmas by our culture, the war on Christmas by our society. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but uh, it's, it's amazing to think that Christmas is already here. I, I know people that were always older than me would always tell me that the older you get, time goes by so much faster because it's an idea of relativity. It's relative to how long you've lived and time goes by, but it just seems like Christmas seems to get here so quickly. It seems like you're in the summer and uh, then all of a sudden you blink and it's the holidays and then Christmas comes rushing up. And I can remember as a little kid, it seemed like Christmas would never get here. I mean, it would seem like from the moment that you began, and you know, when I was a kid, Christmas always started when you got the Sears catalog. And uh, you would get the Sears catalog, and some of you are nodding your heads, you're my age or older, you remember. And that was kind of the start of Christmas, because that's how you picked out your Christmas presents. Uh, we, we had five of us, and so we would get the Sears catalog, and we would go through and we would mark, color-coded, what we wanted in the Sears catalog and give it to our parents. And uh, It seemed like from the time we did that to the time that Christmas got here, it, it forever. And that last week, if you're a young one, I hate to tell you, this week is the longest week of your life. It seems like it just drags on. And that last night, uh, how many of you used to stay up all night when you were a kid waiting for Santa to come and for Christmas to get here? And we all had to sleep in the same room and uh, nobody slept. We argued and fussed and fight and waited for somebody to come and tell us that we could go out and celebrate Christmas. Uh, and even though it seems like it's taking so long as a kid or so quickly as an adult, uh, Christmas is, the season is spreading out. It's growing, isn't it? Uh, when, when we were young, Christmas never really started until about Thanksgiving. And it seems now that as soon as Halloween, really even before Halloween is over, they're starting to put Christmas stuff out. If you go to the stores, they've already got their Christmas stuff out at Halloween. They're already starting Hallmark, I think, has been playing Christmas movies since July, maybe. Uh, it seems like they're always on. And then the radio stations all of a sudden start playing all these Christmas songs. And so what used to be really two weeks or three weeks or one month at most of a season is now two months, maybe two and a half months of the Christmas season. And it doesn't take very long for Christmas to kick off, for the Christmas season to start, that all of a sudden you begin to hear about people being offended about this war on Christmas. People begin to talk about the things that, that they're angry about of our culture taking Christmas and taking Christ out of Christmas. Uh, a lot of stores no longer say Merry Christmas in their advertising. They no longer have Merry Christmas in their wording or in their stores. They now say Happy Holidays. Uh, there's a lot of you that have children in school. Your kids probably don't have Christmas parties anymore. They have holiday celebrations or holiday parties, and they remove everything that has to do with uh, Christmas or any religious symbolism out of that celebration. Uh, many schools that used to have choir Christmas songs and choir Christmas cantatas, they no longer sing Christmas songs that have religious words to them or that were sung in church. They sing just generic holiday songs. You hear people nowadays, instead of saying Merry Christmas, they say Happy Holidays. People don't call their tree Christmas tree anymore in some places. They call it the holiday tree. 
And everybody gets up in arms. And, and, and before you know it, I always know when it's hitting because social media, especially if you're on Facebook, it all of a sudden explodes because people all of a sudden begin to write protests and write these screeds on Facebook about how they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas and ha- trying to remove all the important stuff uh, that is important to us out of the culture. You know, even this year, there seemed to be this uh, faux outrage that Starbucks change the color of their Christmas cups. And somehow, by changing the color of their Christmas cups, it was somehow insinuating that Christ was not in Christmas anymore. And people got outraged. And then people got outraged that some people would get outraged. And there were people fighting over the outrage of the outrage. And, and all I could think about was, it's just a cup. Okay? How silly is that? And I mean, let's be honest, it's Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks is the company whose CEO came out last year and said that if you don't support gay marriage, he doesn't want your business. And yet we're offended because they changed the color of their cups. I mean, it's not going to stop anybody from going and having their $8 lattes. I mean, uh, but, but we have to be offended. We have to be outraged. And, and what I'm realizing and what we're finding is that we live in a society today that seems to be outraged at outrage. We get outraged at anything. You can offend people with everything that you do. You can offend people by saying the wrong words. You can offend people by by standing up for what you believe, for for stating your convictions. You can offend people by the clothes that you wear. If you have the wrong shirt or or the wrong pants or you don't wear it right, then you might offend somebody. And then all of a sudden we've got a society that that is coddling uh, people to the point that we want to create safe spaces where you won't be offended. Well, going to a safe space offends me because I don't like that idea. And so, you know, and it's even in the church, by evidence, by this war on Christmas that everyone seems to be offended by. I mean, people in church are so quick to get offended by the silliest things. People get offended because, you know, the poinsettias aren't right or the trees are different. Church, the color of the carpet, or we didn't sing your favorite Christmas song, or we didn't do it the way that you've always wanted it done, or or some of you are going to get offended by what I have to say this morning. People, we need to stop wearing our offenses so much on our sleeves. Stop having this idea that, that the world is out to offend us. As a matter of fact, if we want to get offended... Why don't we start getting offended at the things that makes God offended? Why don't we start getting offended at the things that break God's heart? The things like the the selfishness and the pride and the arrogance and the mass consumerism and the, the, the idea of greed that's so rampant during this holiday season. Let me tell you something. I think God is probably much more concerned with our selfish, me-centered, what am I getting, what can you do for me attitude that permeates this holiday season than he ever was that somebody said holiday tree over Christmas tree. But yet that doesn't stop us from being offended. It doesn't stop us from wanting to go and proclaim how offended we are to the world and those around us. See, God is not interested And whether or not the world calls it Christmas or calls it holidays. God's not interested in how offended that we can get on Facebook. See, God's more interested in whether you and I are going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and hurting generation. Whether or not we're going to feed the hungry. Whether or not we're going to go out and clothe those who are hurting this holiday season. 
See, God's offended by the idea that we get more wrapped up and more upset and more hurt and more angry over the change of the color of a coffee cup than we ever do the homeless and the hurting and the hungry. And even those that are lost that we sit beside every week at work and say nothing. And then we get offended because they say, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. See, if this series of this 10 weeks has taught us anything, it's taught us that you and I live in a very secular and lost world. And even more to the point, you and I now live in a lost and increasingly hostile nation, especially when it comes to biblical Christianity. Now, we learned two weeks ago that the majority of the United States still claim to be Christian, but this claiming something doesn't make it a reality. Just wearing that cultural title doesn't make it real. We're growing up and raising our children and coming of age in a nation that is increasingly hostile to the things of God. And that shouldn't surprise us. See, I'm still, I still get shocked when Christians are surprised or get angry or even offended when lost people act like lost people. It, it's amazing to me. When sinners sin, we get offended. That, that's who they are. The Bible says unless they're told and unless they're shown, that's who they are. They're lost. We live in a lost world, and a lost world is going to propagate. It's going to proclaim the principles of that lostness. Jesus never got offended by lost people. Jesus never got offended by sinners. He wasn't surprised at their sin. He wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't shocked. Jesus loved them where they were and ministered to them because he recognized that they were lost in their sin and they had no other hope. Jesus only got offended at the religious people who were so busy spending their time trying to show how spiritual they were by what they could do and, and being offended themselves that everyone else wasn't spiritual. Those are the people that he got offended at. Those were the people he confronted yeah, you and I get so outraged and so upset that because we live in a lost world, we're surprised when the lostness begins to permeate it. I think we've got a picture of our nation that's not real. We don't, we don't live in a theocracy. We live in a, a democracy that is based on selfishness and pride. So I worry that so many people in the church are spending so much time and effort and energy being offended that they miss the actual purpose, the actual meaning of the season. Like the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were so wrapped up, the religious leaders were so wrapped up in being offended because Jesus was acting a certain way or, or because lost people were not as spiritual as them that they never even recognized that the Messiah that they'd been praying for for a thousand years was walking in their midst. And I'm afraid that so many Christians, you know, it amazes me that the people who get the most upset, it seems... And offended about holidays instead of Christmas and taking Christ out of Christmas are the very people that, that aren't involved in church anywhere. They may come at Christmas, they may come at Easter, and I think that, that somehow that gives them comfort to say that, that, you know, that's my time and so don't take away my time, my, my Christmas time. But yet we get so offended that it robs us of actually understanding what the story means. That in this story, the reality of Christmas is not what we call a tree. It's not what Sears puts on their advertisement. It's, it's not what that waiter says to you when he, we walk out the door. 
The message of Christmas is that the creator of the world, the, the God of the universe, stopped time and space and invaded us in the form of a baby. That he began to dwell as man, skin and bones, flesh, eating and sleeping and hurting. That he became the savior of the world. That with him, he brought the hope of all mankind. And it started in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And yet instead of allowing that truth to consume us, instead of allowing that truth to permeate who we are, we'd rather get riled up because somebody didn't say Christmas to us. You see, if more followers of Christ lived out and celebrated and proclaimed that truth, not just at Christmas, but year-round, if we allowed that truth that Christ has now come, that the Messiah is here, that He is a part of our lives, that He influences everything that I do, then it wouldn't matter what you call a tree. It wouldn't matter what the nation or the secular society decides about Christmas because that truth would begin to permeate everything that we do. You see, not calling it a Christmas tree and not having a manger on the town square, not letting children have a Christmas party, isn't going to change that truth. No matter what society says, no matter what our culture might say, you cannot separate Christ from Christmas any more than you can stop prayer in school. It's the same thing. People get mad and say, oh, well, they're taking prayer out of school. You can't. Because as long as I can communicate with my God, I can pray anywhere I want. And as long as I understand the meaning and the purpose of what Christmas is and who Christmas came to change, then this Christmas will be there. See, how can we be so surprised that we live in a nation that just this summer tried to redefine marriage, that they would try to redefine what Christmas means? See, you can change the name, you can ban the songs, you can change the focus, you can change the emphasis, but as long as the church stays focused, as long as Christians live out the message of Christmas, you can't remove the purpose from the meaning. Now, I want you to hear, I said all that to say this, make no mistake, there is a war on Christmas, a very real, tangible, and dangerous war. But it didn't start 15 years ago with the culture wars. Doesn't have anything to do with what we call our Christmas trees. Doesn't have anything to do with whether or not a school choir gets to sing. It started the very first Christmas morning. I want you to listen to Matthew's version of that story. It's in your order of service. And, and Matthew is different than Luke. Most of the time at, at Christmas we, we read the Gospel of Luke because Luke is detailed. Mark is more detailed about what happened. Uh, Matthew, as a matter of fact, Matthew just tells wh where they were going, what happened, the baby was born, and then he jumps right in to when the Magi showed up, when the, the wise men showed up. And we don't know when the wise men... I preached several years ago on Christmas that uh, the myths about Christmas, the things that we don't understand, things like, you know, the, the innkeeper saying there's no room at the inn, you know, and most Christmas pageants, the innkeeper, that's such a prestigious role. You know, you get to come out and say there's no room at the inn, and poor Mary and Joseph had there's, there's no innkeeper in the story, okay? Uh, there's no inn in the story. There was just tells us that there was no room, no place for them to stay. Um, you know, and, and that wise men, the idea of the picture in the manger that we have in almost all of our manger scenes, that the wise men were there when Jesus was a baby. Most people think that's not real, that, that somehow the wise men showed up between Jesus being a year or two years old. 
And we know that from Matthew's version here and what happens. And so Matthew picks up when the wise men show up in Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, who were wise men, these, you know, and I don't want to get into a whole lot, but these were guys that were coming from, a, uh, from Asia, really, but really more from Arabia. Uh, many people think that these were guys that were uh, scientists and astrologers that had studied under the school of Daniel uh, all the way back from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, that Daniel had been prophesying and teaching, and that these guys had come from that same school, understanding that there was going to be a Messiah born, and that a star would say where he was going to be born. And so they showed up from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we stall his star in the east and have come to worship him. They go to Herod. Herod's the king of the Jews at the time. And they say, listen, we've, been, we've read this prophecy. We understand what the prophecy says. Where is this king? Don't you see what Herod's response was? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now why in the world would anyone be disturbed about the birth of a child? I mean, have you ever looked at a baby, your child or your grandchild, and been intimidated, been disturbed? So much so that it aroused suspicion and confusion and, and even hate within you? Why would Herod, who was the most powerful Jewish leader, <coughs> excuse me, in the whole region, why would he be disturbed? Because see, Herod was like those magi. He'd been reading. He was Jewish. He'd been, he'd been hearing from the time of his birth. That for a thousand years the Messiah was going to be prophesied. That there was coming someone that would unite God and man. There was coming someone who would bring those two factions together. Someone was coming that would allow God and man to have relationships again. That which was ruptured in the garden would be put back together. Someone was coming to offer hope and offer peace and offer joy and offer forgiveness. He recognized that, but he also recognized that Isaiah said this one who was coming would be king of kings and lord of lords, that he would reign. And Herod knew that if this king, if this Messiah was really truly here, it would, it would rupture everything that he stood for. It would mess up his world. It would mess up his selfish reign. It would break into the kingdom that he had built on his own power and his own strength. And the last thing Herod wanted was somebody to mess up what he had. It's the same mentality that the world has today. Herod was disturbed. Do you realize that there are so many people that are not just trying to get rid of Christmas because we celebrate, because they're trying to get rid of Christmas because they are disturbed by it. Because you see why you and I, those that have accepted Jesus Christ, Christmas means hope and peace and joy and salvation. To those that rebel against God, to those who don't follow Christ, to those who reject Christ, Christmas is a constant, ever-present reminder that God is real. See, you can't look at this story and not recognize that God is not only real, but God provided a means by which man could have relationship to Him. And every time we sing Christmas songs, every time we talk about the birth of Christ, every time we talk about the Messiah that has come to earth, it is a constant reminder to those who have rebelled against God, to those who have rejected God, that there is going to come a day when they will be held accountable to that same God. And they're disturbed by it. So they do everything they can, just like Herod, 
to cause it to stop. You see, from the very beginning, from this very first moment, the very presence of Jesus Christ as a baby, his very existence on this earth was a battle cry. It was a battle cry against the forces of Satan. It was a battle cry against those who turned their back against God. It was a battle cry against the philosophies of this world who from the time of the garden have said, we don't need God. Because you see there in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled, the idea of that rebellion was that we can be like God. And from that moment, Satan ruled this earth with the same attitude that you don't need God, that you can be just like God. And you see, when that baby showed up there in Bethlehem, it was a war cry. Herod knew that this baby, this Messiah, was a threat to everything that he stood for. This idea that God, uh, that man didn't need God, this idea that man could be on his own, this idea that no one needed to rule him was now threatened by that little baby. This single child, Jesus Christ, that innocent baby lying in a manger, brought with him the greatest power mankind has ever known, the greatest hope that this world has ever had. But it also brought with it the greatest threat to the sinful heart and the greatest threat to the principalities and rulers of the air, those that control the forces of this world. See, we need to recognize that there is a war, and it's been going on long before we got here. And it's a war not to say Merry Christmas, not whether or not you say Happy Holidays. It's a war for the hearts and the souls of men and women. See, it's a war to see whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed from here until he returns again or whether or not he will be silenced. Because you see, from the very moment that he came into this world, those forces sprang into action to silence him. Those forces began to move to eliminate him and to eliminate the things that he stood for from this earth. Started with Herod right there after his birth. You can keep reading in chapter 2. Herod tells the Magi, they go and look at Micah, and it's quoted, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they go to Bethlehem to try to find this child. But Herod tells them, listen, when you find him, let me know where he is, because I want to come and worship him. But they didn't trust Herod. So they go and they see the baby Jesus, and they give him their gifts. But as they're there, one of them has a dream that Herod is going to try to hurt Jesus, try to destroy Jesus. So instead of going back to Jerusalem, they go back into the way. When Herod learns of their treachery, he has every man, child, male child under the age of two within Bethlehem and that whole area of Judea taken from their mother's arms and murdered. All for the sake of trying to silence the message of Jesus Christ. Every two-year-old. You want to talk about war? You want to talk about a war that matters? Not a Starbucks cup. That these mothers had their children ripped from their hands only because Jesus Christ came against everything they stood for. And Herod was threatened. Those weren't the last that had been murdered to try to silence Jesus, to try to quiet Jesus. And it's all around the world today. Cultures and nations strive to try to eliminate the knowledge and the word of Jesus Christ from men's hearts. They do everything that they can. They do everything that they can imagine to try to keep it that way. Christmas, that moment, was God's declaration of war. 
You see, that baby being born in a manger was God declaring that Christ had come and that the world was to take notice that nothing would be the same. And every generation from the time of Herod till today, every mankind, every government, every nation has done everything it can to diminish and eliminate Jesus' message from our world, to hide and remove the knowledge of Christ. You see, that war that started in a manger and was won on the cross and won on the empty tomb, it still continues today. While the war has been won, the battle still rages. And what God did, what was planned for the foundations of the earth, what, what Paul tells us happened at just the right time, God announced, God declared through this little baby that things would never be the same. He declared that this world is not Satan's, that this world is not its own, that the rightful king had come to take back that which was his. I heard someone say one time that, Jesus, as this helpless newborn, became the boots on the ground in the cosmic battle of spiritual warfare. And that if you had ears to hear that very first morning, if you had ears that were spiritual, when you began to hear that baby cry throughout the hills of Bethlehem, you began to hear the cry of battle. You began to hear in that baby's cry a declaration that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that God had come in flesh, that God had come and dwelt among us, and as he did, he brought hope, and he brought help, and he brought grace, and he brought mercy. That's what those cries represented. And everyone from Herod on down has rejected that. This morning, you and I have a responsibility as we celebrate Advent, we light these candles and we identify with those early Christians that were anticipating the arrival of Jesus' birth. We stand in tension recognizing that not only was there a first advent, but there will be a second advent. Because Jesus, when he left, said, I will return. And so while we celebrate and we recognize the first advent, we also understand that that baby that came in that manger at night by surprise is going to come back as a king one day with all the light of this world. And when he comes back, man will be held in account for what they say of that baby in the manger. That's the war on Christmas. And our battle this morning is not with some store employee who wished you happy holidays. It's, it's not with a teacher who decided to call her party a winter celebration. Those are the very people that Jesus came to redeem and rescue and save. We need to remember that those are not our enemy, that, that the culture around us is only doing what their lost heart compels them to do. That we have a job to do. Our enemy in this war is not the secular culture. It's not a corrupt and lost government. It's not even our lost atheist neighbors. Our enemy is the same who Paul told us back when we were studying the book of Ephesians. Those who cause war in the heavenlies, those principalities of the air, the, the dominion of this world that strive to keep lost man lost. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. This world is enemy-occupied territory. Christianity is how the story of a rightful king has come. He landed in disguise. 
And He's calling us to take part in the battle. You see, church, what I want you to understand this morning is there is a war. And it's much more real than you and I could ever imagine. And instead of being so upset and offended at things that have no eternal significance, things that have no eternal value, why not allow ourselves to be brokenhearted over those that are going to gather this season, those that are going to come into this church on, on Thursday night for a Christmas Eve service, and it's the only time that they ever hear the message of Christ. Those that are going to gather with family and friends and going to hear the Christmas story read one more time. Why not be brokenhearted over those people that are lost and separated from God? Why not be offended in, in the sin that separates them from Him? See, the answer for us this war on Christmas, it's, it's not to go on another rant on Facebook. It's not to fill out or sign any petitions. Listen, I understand there's religious liberty issues. But that's not our call. It's not our job. I hear people say, well, what are we going to do? How do we combat this cultural war on Christmas? Well, if we in the church would only just get together and, and, and remember what Christmas is all about and, and have this kind of warm, fuzzy mentality, if we can just kind of get, retreat back into our churches, and, and that's not the answer. Our answer is to recognize that when you claim the name Jesus Christ, you were given a role in this war. You were given a responsibility in this battle. And it doesn't just start at Christmas. It doesn't start in October when the season kicks off. It's a year-round responsibility. And we need to understand that as important as it may be to us to keep Christ in Christmas, it's even more important that the focus of our lives need to be keeping Christ and introducing Christ into the hearts of men. It's what this war is all about. It's what this holiday is all about. And if we celebrate Christmas and miss that, we've missed it. See, the angels in Luke's version gathered there on the hills around Bethlehem. And the shepherds were keeping watch of their flocks, and these angels came to these shepherds and, and began to proclaim. And Luke tells us, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. Tidings of great joy, the King James says, that will be for all people. And I love that. Not I'm bringing you good news of great joy for the religious. I'm bringing you great news of great joy for, for those who pursue. This is good news for everybody. What is that good news? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You see, this Christmas season, church, the angels aren't going to show up and proclaim it. There's not going to be angels around the hill of Blowing Rock on the outskirts of Boone. There's not going to be angels at your Christmas celebration. You know why? Because they turn that role over to you and I. And our job this holiday season is to say, don't be afraid. Herod, don't be disturbed. For I bring you good news. Tidings of great joy. For in that manger was born a Savior. A Savior for you. He is Christ. He is Lord. 
He brings hope. He brings love. He brings grace. He brings forgiveness. And most importantly, He brings salvation. That is the message of Christmas that you and I have got to declare and proclaim. Let's pray.